Hello and welcome to the Football Psychology Show. My name is John Nasori and this week I'm joined by my co-host Luke Chiverton and regular guest Dr Misa Jervis to discuss the psychology of the playoffs, the importance of celebrating or not celebrating if you're Chris Sutton and whether managers' motivational stunts really pay off. Luke, Misha, welcome again. Uh, Misha, welcome back. Um, I'm Thank sure you. regular listeners are breathing a heavy sigh of relief after having to deal <laughs> with me and Luke for a full episode. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And, and Misha, I can see you've got a huge smile on your face this morning, unsurprisingly. It's been a huge week for Wickham, hasn't it? Sort of leapfrogging into that last playoff place at the weekend, having gone into the final round of fixtures in seventh. And then Probably pretty much the perfect first leg result last night at home to MK Dons, going into that second leg 2-0 up. You and everybody involved in Wickham must be, must be so happy at the moment. Yeah, it's, um, it's where we want to be. It's exactly where we want to be. And um, last night was amazing. Adams Park was electric. Haven't really experienced it like that, um, which was lovely. Great energy in the place. So yes, one job finished. We move on to the next. Um, just before we talk about that kind of next job in, in a bit more detail, just a quick shout out to um, our partners, uh, Sporting Bounce and the Set Pieces. So Sporting Bounce is the, uh, the online directory for sports performance, which is managed by um, former guest, Professor Mark Jones. And the Set Pieces is a website which is part of the Guardian Sports Network and home to some first-rate opinion on all things football. But yeah, getting back to... To the playoffs. So Misha, it was I thought really interesting actually that uh, Gareth Ainsworth came out after the game and uh, he said, talking about the win, he said a lot of our boys, and talking about the next game actually, a lot of our boys have played in big playoff games and we need to make that experience count mm-hmm. in the second leg. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of psychological advantage does that kind of experience that Gareth was talking about give teams like Wickham in this situation? I think it's extremely powerful. If you've experienced something before, then, you know, what, what, do we, what do we get fearful of? The unknown. And so if you've been there, lived it, been successful, um, then actually you kind of, you know what this feels like. And so you can draw upon that in, in these moments to go, okay, I know, I understand. There's, there's less surprises in a sense. And we are humans who like certainty. And of course, there is very little certainty within this context. So everything that makes it that little bit more familiar, you know, maybe it's the the players who've never been in a dressing room in Wembley. Yeah, well, we've been there. We've done that. We know what that feels like. You know, those things about the environment, the things about um, how you kind of navigate through the different um, processes, the different stages of, of, of this. It's kind of um, helpful in that regard. And, and also it's, it's, it's a powerful, it's a powerful moment of, of understanding that. It, it gives you something else because the, the, the truth of the matter is, you know, the challenges through these are hugely psychological. You know, that's, that's really what it's about. And of course, managing the physicality in terms of the, you know, the rest recovery. So again, it's like, you know, the next game is is on Sunday. So the players have got to ensure that that rest and that recovery mentally as well as physically, that they really do do that. So, yeah, those, those I think is, is the place where experience counts. You know, 
we've we've been here before we've lived it we understand it and and for players but also for staff you know i think we never talk about that but it's like the people around the players it's it's again it's like okay we understand how this works we've 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 done this before we we can manage this environment and Misha, just for, for listeners that might not be familiar with Wickham's record, just to put into context that experience that you're talking about, um, sort of sort of some incredible figures on this, where in the last eight seasons, Wickham have made the playoffs on three occasions. They were automatically promoted in another of those seasons from League Two and were obviously involved in that fairly tight relegation battle in the championship uh, for one of those seasons. So effectively, you've got five of the last eight seasons where Wickham have really been at the sharp end of business. And like you said, it's a very closely knit group of players, closely knit staff, not huge amounts of turnover in the squad, which is excellent. So all of that kind of experience is is, is all there to, to, to build from in terms of these big one-off games that you've got over the next week or so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's how we kind of... And this might sound odd, but it's like how we find our freedom to be ourselves, to express ourselves within within these challenges, you know, because we, we don't want to carry the burden of, of kind of what if and, and oh, my goodness, and, and all the rest of it, which which creates that kind of um, I mean, I spoke about it before. It's like we want to go into these games in a challenge state challenge state is open is excited is curious is ready it it comes with a a core belief of self as well you know of of the we can and and sometimes it's you know it's even more powerful than that and Amisha you touched on it the 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 role of the the staff here Mm. and to to what extent do, do the mix of kind of personalities that you've got within that Wickham dressing room, not just with within the on, on the playing side, but on, on the coaching side, to, to what extent do they really kind of come into their own? Because I imagine on the one hand, you've got we talked about it before, you've got kind of Gareth Ainsworth, real extrovert, but then I imagine it to this point in the season that someone like Richard Dobson potentially really comes into to his own in terms of kind of being able to kind of just get over the maybe the subtle messages to to certain players in that squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I've spoken before about the yin and yang in a sense of them. Um, and that is that is also, it allows the different personalities of the players to also connect. Some play, you know, Bayo is is kind of like Gaz in as much as there's, they're extroverts, they're, you know, powerful personalities. And then you've got some other players that are really much, much quieter. They're not like that at all. So maybe, you know, for them, Dobbo is, is easier to connect with. So the fact that those, that the, there's that yin and yang, and it's interestingly, it, it, it's like the energy is the same, the purpose, the intention is the same, but the expression of it is different. I think that's really interesting because it must be nice to be at a club that says it's okay to be either of those, not extremes, but either of those ends of the sure. spectrum, I guess, sure. and say, actually, there's a place for you here. There is a tendency in a lot of football environments that I read about or, or see that where it's like, well, we want all of our players to kind of be like this. And pundits are quite like that. They're like, all players should be like this. You want people shouting in the dressing room. It's like, well, no, actually, you probably want a mix of a mix of personality types and people that approach things and process things differently. because that's going to give you your best ability to deal with different situations, right? I think, you know, the, the one thing about Wickham is what we want everyone to be is themselves. Yeah. That's it. Unapologetic be you because you is good enough. You is fabulous. You is everything you need to be. 
And then there's no, you know, so people aren't thinking that they have to behave in a certain way or they have to conform or they have to be, it's like, bring you, bring you to the party. And again, and it's like the, the connection between everyone is, is very powerful, but it gets expressed in very different ways and different players, you know, will have different ways of, of doing those things. Mish, when it gets to this this stage of the season, are you as as a as a psychologist kind of doing anything differently to kind of how you've prepared for games previously? Um, you know, we've we've had a long time together, so um, my job is 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 kind of reinforcing. It's I kind of describe it as it's like a little sprinkling of of of, of stuff. It's observing. It's noticing. It's just. You know, sometimes it's just it's just a look that connects. It's like, yeah, you got this. Yeah. Just noticing that kind of how someone's responding. It's those small touching of bases, checking in. You know, uh, again, it's like sometimes the team isn't cemented. So it's like maybe it's like just checking on people who maybe thought they were playing. Maybe they're not playing. How are they doing? what's that like because again it's like they are all bringing an energy they're all bringing something into the room you are still important and how you how you show your support to your your colleagues is 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 powerful you know um whether you show up how you show up what are you bringing so just checking in those little things and Misha, one of the things uh, John and I wanted to ask you about, I mean, we're at the sharp end of the season. It's, it's big kind of one-off games. Like, you know, you mentioned the games Wickham have had. We had probably that last game in the in the league itself was very, very important. That could have gone a number of ways. Then you've got the, the three playoff games, hopefully, which are all big one-off games. And teams all across the league are now at the sharp end of the season. You've got the Champions League, the Premier League. Most divisions are going to have these big one-off games. One of the things that springs to mind about this part of the season is mental fatigue, because it is a long season. It is a pretty uh, unrepenting schedule for players, sort of. We were already talking about the fact that you had the, basically you're going to have had the first two legs of the playoffs and the last game of the season within about seven or eight days, which is very, very short turnarounds for some very, very big matches. I guess it ties a little bit into what you were saying, where if you were prepared to have that number of games anyway, and you were setting the foundations for that a few weeks ago, your does that does that prepare the players a little bit more because they're just more in a zone of expecting to be in this position? Whereas actually thinking about your opponents last night, they were maybe hoping that they might get automatic promotion uh, about five days ago yeah. and have suddenly potentially got three more games to play. So you know, how do you deal with mental fatigue? Is the is is the short I question think, I'm trying I, to ask? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think. Um, the the challenge for the game last week was about containing the focus to what's happening here and now when actually there was an awful lot happening elsewhere which normally you don't you don't worry about so that becomes the potential distraction so you know i kind of you know talking about this is the moments we have to manage. We can't control anything else out there. We have to be here. And, and again, moments where you know, I talked to players afterwards and, and, and they were going, yeah, the crowd was reacting. So they were kind yeah. of thinking, oh, yeah, the Wickham fans suddenly started cheering. So something good has happened. So in, in those moments, it's easy to be distracted. So um, to some extent, managing the now is much easier 
because there's only one game and we have to manage it and we're here in this present moment. So let's do this. And, and of course, you have much more um, autonomy over it because you're not kind of hoping and waiting for someone else to do something somewhere, you know, that you, you, you can't do anything about. So I think things like um, in terms of the reset, how we recover is really important. And, and even simple things like, you know, players hang out with your kids, you know, kids are great distractors, just kind of take that down um, time and value it, make it important for you. And, and that also comes that thing of, if your if your head is simply 24 seven on, on Sunday, you're going to be knackered. You know, we can't, we can't sustain that. And plus, you know, you're going to be running scenarios through. It's like, and breathe and breathe, everyone. Just do that. Let it go. Enjoy the moment. Take the energy. Take the, take the belief that that experience has given us. It, it kind of adds to that perception of what we know about ourselves. I think what's really interesting as well, Misha, is that it's actually at this stage of the season where you start to see the, the, the kind of reason for and the results of some of the the stuff that uh, maybe is taken for kind of granted at Wickham, but actually I think is kind of fairly innovative. So we spoke at the beginning of the season with Richard Dobson, Wickham assistant manager, about the fact that, you know, before any player is even brought in to the club, you know, he is taking kind of personal responsibility for looking through their social media profiles, basically kind of looking at the kind of the player's psychological profile to, to, to some extent. Mm. And I suppose, you know... It, it's easier kind of times to kind of say, well, is that, is that actually that necessary? But actually it's now, isn't it? That that really comes into its own because you've got the kind of squad that you need now. I mean, you're talking about players that maybe are out injured. I guess you can kind of rely on those players because you know you're bringing the right people into, into your club. I think one of the, the, the most powerful things is that everything is everybody. And, and by that, I mean, so if we're having a meeting about the next game, everybody's in the room. Everybody's in the room. So, so the younger players who, who are not going to be in the squad and they know they're not in the squad, but they're in the room. So it's really, really everything for everybody. And that then make, means that people are connected in, in ways and, and I think maybe in, in other places, it's kind of, um, okay, well, you're not in the squad, so you're, you don't need to be in this place. But actually, um, those youngsters, they're not, they're not playing. They know they're not playing, but they're included and they're part of it. Um, so then again, it's like you're kind of, um, you're, they're learning culture. They're feeling connected. And, and if in that meeting they want to say something, they're free to do so. Going back to John's point there about it's this time of the season that all the work you've been putting in, not just for the whole of this season, probably over the last two, three, four, five years and beyond that. When you talked about the ability of the players to kind of stop just focusing on the big game and, and, and take some time out and breathe, I was thinking about how that seems such a, that's a very, you know, anybody can get on board with that concept. That seems like a very obvious thing to say. Mm. I bet that is a, that is a lot easier said than done. And therefore, I bet it does take a lot of the work that you've done with the players over a much longer period of time to have a group of players that are able to do that. Is, is that fair? So that must be something that you 
kind of have to help players learn how to do over a longer period of time. And it's easy that at this time of the season, pundits talk about mentality and they talk about psychology now because they can actually (laughs) see it. It might be important. Who knew? Exactly, just because it's a big game. But actually the ability to prepare psychologically for a game is a much longer process. So the fact that your players are able to do that is not just because you've decided that's a good idea for the next few weeks, is it? No, no, absolutely. And, uh, And again, and this is... This is, I guess, sometimes sometimes where people struggle to understand the work, you know, yeah. because it is sometimes it looks like it's innocuous, but you're absolutely right. I've been I've been working on these things with these players, well, for two seasons now. And and some of their personal and individual growth is phenomenal. No one's going to know that. Uh, you know, they understand it about themselves. They see how they're navigating through these things. Um, they're kind of flourishing, I think. And then that means that then how you you have that kind of inner, inner resilience, um, but also people are going to help you. You know, it's like uh, we're here together um, and, and the power of we is, is not to be underestimated. And I think it's, um, it's not the words, it's the feelings. It's the, you, you know, and it's easy just to talk about it. And everyone assumes that every team is a we. Oh, no, 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 no. That so isn't true. That so isn't true. Um, but you have to purposefully work on it. You have to decide it's important. And it's those small little things like that example that I just gave about everyone being in the room that helps create that. Well, I hope some of this, I hope some of this stuff is, is kind of seeping out into the, into the public domain more and more. I mean, obviously, we had, we had you know, Matt Bloomfield, didn't we, on the, the show a few, yeah. few episodes ago, which I'll encourage anyone to kind of check out. And I, I thought, you know, testament to the work that, that kind of you're doing, he seems to be kind of very aware of the fact that, you know, he's gone on a bit of a, a kind of journey in terms of his kind of self-development. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other we, thing to say, sorry, guys, the other thing I was going to say is, yeah, you've got the personal testimony from people like Matt, which is great. So Misha, when you say, oh, I don't know if they know they're going on a journey. Well, Matt, Matt seemed very aware of the, of, the, of, the, of the impact it had on his career. But also I think we shouldn't miss the point. And, and again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because, you know, you've won the first leg of the semi-final of the playoffs. But yeah. Wickham having success with this kind of thing must be such a great feeling to be just such a, a kind of advertisement for the, for the fact that these methods work. I think, you know, having we've spoken to quite a lot of people at Wickham and, you know, just to see success coming from this different way of working, I don't really want to say different, but it is, isn't it? Sure. Is, is such a, that, you know, that's probably the best thing that you can, that you can hope for. Yeah. And, and I think it's about, you know, noticing the small stuff, you know, and we're going to talk about noticing the, the celebration, the, the small stuff. And, and, and those are, those are important things as well. The other thing that I'd say about this in terms of like the language that people use in and around the game, I think Luke, I counted that you use the word big about seven times. Um, (laughs) And then it's like I've just okay. got a very limited vocabulary, uh, um, Misha, that's why. maybe not. But, <laughs> but it's do you know what I mean? It, it's like, what does big do? Wow, oh, yeah. it's like this. <laughs> oh, and, and then we're moving into a threat state. So really the noise outside, keep it we, we don't care, keep it outside. It's not important to us. It's about it's about what happens here. And notions of um the biggest challenge is how we remain present how we navigate through the now because if we can navigate through the now then we can be 
calm, focused, good decision makers, have big perceptual awareness, see what's happening, be anchored. That's the challenge. And, and one I think that will be kind of present over the next over the next couple of weeks as kind of fingers crossed we can make it through to the, the playoff final. I mean, this 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 show has ceased to be objective on the Wickham. On the Wickham <laughs> yeah, it's got a bit of a Wickham bias, but that's okay. I will, yeah, I will just, um, I suppose, you know, over the last two years since we've been kind of doing this show, it's probably worth saying that, um, yeah, the work that, that is going on at Wickham is, is phenomenal. Um, there are other clubs that are doing some fantastic work as well. So just, just off the top of my head, we've got Andy Hill from, from Blackburn doing a fantastic job um, at the academy there. You know, we've talked as regular listeners will know, frequently about some of the work that was going on at AC Milan, for example, back in the 1980s and 1990s, mm-hmm. um, at Chelsea as well, you know, Tim Hartness doing a fantastic job there. So there are, there are examples Absolutely. elsewhere, aren't there? Of course, of course. And, and I think that, again, it's like the industry, the football industry, is sort of starting to maybe um, not be so fearful of people who happen to have the word psychologist in their yeah. title. You know, it's like, we're okay. We're not that scary, really. And em- embracing things in different ways and being and being open. And certainly we could say in a sense that the EPPP was part of that because it, it's, it had sports psychology as part of it. I mean, in a very small, limited way, but at least it was on the piece of paper. Um, and so, yeah, you know, there are, there are changes, important changes that happened and, you know, I've been I've been working as a sports site for many many years, and um, the landscape for me has shifted hugely. Um, so the people that I train, the next generation coming through, are, are going to have an easier time. <laughs> I think one of the nice things about or, you know we do for we have used Wickham as very much a case study, but what I think's been interesting about what we've been able to do with Wickham is okay. We talk to you often, Misha. You're you're the sports psych. It's you know it's obvious that you'd be that you'd have your views on psychology, but to see it embedded top to bottom in Wickham, I mean, we've talked, we've spoken to the manager, the assistant manager, a coach and former player. We've talked about the academy. I think one of the nice things about psychology is it isn't the domain, as you always say, it's not just the domain of the sports psych to look after psychology for a club. It needs to be Mm -hmm. part of the, you know, of the everyday kind of makeup of that. And actually it's been really interesting. Some of the interviews we've had just to see how seriously embedded it is in the minds of everybody working at the club. And I think that's, now that that's hopefully the thing. Like I said, if if success comes from that, that that's that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, on some, I'm afraid to say, it's more traditional views from uh, from Chris Chris Hutton. So we mentioned it at the start of the show. So at the at the kind of weekend just gone, Arsenal played uh, West Ham, beat them beat them two one. Um, there were some celebrations after the game and Chris Hutton came out on Twitter uh, saying Arsenal celebrating like they've won the league dear me um, now it's worth saying this tweet got I just I went to have a look at it before, this, before recording the show it got 18 and a half thousand likes so this isn't goodness me yeah so this isn't an isolated <laughs> view you just know, a touch of judgement um, I mean Misha I, it just it kind of seems obvious that, that the question, but you know, I mean, how how important kind of is how important a motivational tool is celebrating a goal? You know, how how far away from the view that Sutton expresses is, is it really? So I I talk a lot about finding the treasure, you know, and and 
if we don't find the treasure along the way, that's a very bleak journey that we're going on. Um, and sometimes, even when it feels like there is no treasure, when you look for it and find it, actually, from a psychological point of view, that really helps us with um, kind of navigating through maybe difficult times. You know, we're talking about people who, who may be experiencing anxiety or depression, actually finding the treasure is crucial. Now, this is not the context of, of that, but the, the concept of, of joy. What is it to be human if we can't experience joy? And I think it's about, you know, why do we have goal celebrations if not to find the joy? And actually that joy connects the players with the fans. Why, why do we as fans, when we're watching a goal happens, our team, we, here it is, here's joy. Here's what we feel. And that feeling lifts people, you know, and it takes people forward. So this notion that somehow it should be a measured response, well, the joy should be this much because of this, or the joy is, is absurd, really. It's absurd. The, the only thing, the only rider I would put on that is that you also have to be able to recalibrate and come back. So I, I talk a lot about when we have scored a game. So early on in the season, there were, there were moments where when we had scored a goal, then actually we were quite, quite vulnerable to the opposition then scoring against us. And if you look at those kind of stats, actually, well, wh- why is it often that, that there are goals quite close to each other? So I kind of was talking to the players about how we have to recover from that and come back into the now because actually we're in that euphoric state and that is not a useful place to be for perceptual awareness, decision-making. We need to be here. And so then having that moment where actually, yes, lovely, brilliant. And now, right, let's reset, let's recover, let's get that focus back and take your time to do that because actually after a goal, you've, you've got time. Do you know what I mean? Because you can, you can manage the pace of how how quickly you get back set up for, for, for the next play. And obviously some of this is dependent upon game state. Um, are you ahead? Are you drawing? How much time there is and all the rest of it. But just that awareness that you need to do that. I'll, I'll share with you a, um, an example where this didn't go well. Um, when I was with um, England, it was many years ago, but we were qualifying I think it was for Euros. It might have been for the World. can't remember quite. But anyway, a big game. And we were playing Spain. And it was a, if we, if we draw or win, we go through. If they win, they go through. So it was one of those kind of games. At halftime, they were 2-0 up. I walked past their dressing room and they were in fiesta mode. They were literally okay. celebrating. And I came back and I spoke to the players here and I'm going, they're in the future. They think, They've done the job. We control the now. So if we focus on the now, if we come into this, then it's fine for us. But they're in the future. They think they've done the job. And we came back 2-0 to 2-all. We went through. They didn't. So, you know, I think maybe it's, it's less about the celebration. It's more about how you have to come back into the into the present moment, if there's still in literally in that, in Spain's case, there was literally half the job done because it was half time. 
I guess there's something in there as well, Misha. I think I've, I mean, some really interesting examples there. There's probably a slight difference between celebrating during the match in the way that you've just described. There are probably some pitfalls with kind of getting too carried away with that. And I think it's really interesting what you said, because I think the statistics do show that you are your most vulnerable after you've just scored, probably because emotion is creeping into your ability to focus. But, but actually... The bit that Chris Sutton was moaning about was almost celebrating after a match is finished when you know you don't have another game for three or four days. And that seems that seems crazy because everything you were saying around kind of lifting everyone around you, the connection with the fans. Mm -hmm. But also I was interested in exploring, you know, lifting the team spirit, lifting the group and that, that idea of momentum which is very, very important when you're on like a run in, you know, Arsenal are pushing for the for Champions League place, giving everybody a lift, riding that wave of momentum. That must be quite an important psychological tool because, you know, clubs that are on an up, upward trajectory, if they celebrate that and, and don't get carried away with it, but kind of recognise the success, that's probably going to enable them to continue on that trajectory, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And I think if, if we look at Arsenal's season, as an Arsenal fan, I will own that. <laughs> Um, but if you think early on, you think about the language that was describing them, it was very doom and gloom. It was very kind of, oh, you know, they haven't got a hope in hell. They have this. And actually, you know, they have been they have been building that momentum and that and that belief. And so um, that actually, if you put a pin in it in, I don't know. February and then you look now or maybe further back maybe November actually they've ridden that bumpy road and actually they have demonstrated perseverance and maybe it is that thing about um within the group okay so here's noise and when you're outside of it you just see the noise and you think the noise is real you think the noise is what's happening inside they can be two very very different things but so that expression of Look what we're doing now. Look who we are. Look what, why would you not want to show that? And, and, and energy and joy and, and shared experiences keeps people tight. I, I remember as well, we had some Mark James, we mentioned before on the show, talking about motivation at the end of, end of last year. And he was kind of talking about the, the framework that he's kind of talking about three kind of influencing factors, you know, being, um, you know, autonomy, um, capability or kind of confidence in, in, in what you're doing, competence. That's yeah, yeah. It. And, talking about um, self-determination theory yeah. is what he was talking about. And, and the third thing, and the third thing being connectedness and having that yep. feeling. And, and so, you know, this is, I, I think that's where um, comments like, like Sutton's are just kind of, you know, even, kind of empirically or just objectively wrong you kind of look at it and you think you know this doesn't stack up you know what you're saying just doesn't stack up at all um and it, we did kind of i was you know me and luke kind of had a debate about whether to even kind of put it in but i think it's important to talk about this kind of stuff because as we said right at the outset there are quite a lot of people that have this view still and i think it's important to kind of present the opposite opposite argument yeah and it's again it's like who, who are you to decide what someone else's emotion expression is mm. why, why do you get to determine that by the way and think that you're able to do it and it's it's quite sad isn't it it's like <laughs> if we're not able to express joy why would you want to suppress that you know there's enough awful things terrible difficult things happening in the world so we can have these one moments these treasured moments these moments of joy goodness me i think they're to be savored 
And, and actually talking about the, you know, the, the theory behind it all, John, you're right. There's there's lots of evidence that suggests this wrong, but actually there's some very tangible evidence in the Premier League this season because the other club that came in for a bit of criticism for kind of over-celebrating things was Newcastle when Eddie Howe took over. And he, him and Mike Tyndall, his assistant, kind of bought in this big thing where when they won games, they won them together. And they'd have these huge photos in the dressing room of sort yeah. of 50, 60 people. And it was very clearly, a, a, you know, a, they were a, a, adopting a strategy there, weren't they? to kind of motivate the whole club. Like you said, Mish, with Wickham kind of bringing everyone together and, you know, they'd win a couple of games and, and, and people were very kind of looking down their nose at the idea that you'd get that excited about one win when you were still in a relegation battle and coming into the last few games of the season that they're, they're pushing for the top 10. So there is something, you know, there's a very tangible thing there that says if you can build an atmosphere in a group, if you yeah. can get that momentum yeah. and, and if, you, do, if you, you win together, you celebrate together, you do everything together, then clearly that, that has got to be a desirable situation for a for a team environment. Yeah, and valuing valuing those moments, not yeah. thinking that those moments don't count. They yeah. they do count, you know. And actually, you know, um, Blooms is very Matt Bloomfield was very keen on this as well. And early on the season, he's like, you know, we have to value we have to value these moments. We have to we have to record them. We have to celebrate them within here. We have we have to put a marker down of, yeah, you know what? That was hard work maybe, but that was success. And your individual moment where you did X, Y, Z, that's success. Hold that, hold that and move on. Because otherwise it's just, it's all about some ridiculous objective external markers defining defining you. Well, goodness me, we've, we've got to be more than that. Completely, completely agree. Um, unfortunately, the next the next topic that we're going to discuss is, isn't too far from me. Is there any um, any psychologists uh, listening to the to the show? Do stick with us because um, you know it might seem like an infuriating subject to talk about. But again, this is this stuff is this stuff is going on at a Scottish Premier League club, so it's not you know it is it is really worth talking about. So. Um, Mark McGee is the, the, the Dundee manager at the moment. About a week or two weeks ago, in the build-up to a, a must-win relegation scrap against um, St Johnston, came out and uh, said to the press that he would go without heating for a week in a bid to to motivate his players. And I'll, I'll just read out the quote in full because it's worth just um, talking through his reasoning. These are these are his words. So he said, "I won't be using any heating, so I'll be cold." I then asked myself why I am cold. And I can say, because because this game is on Saturday, it's the principle of it, because I'm asking my own players to make this game as important in their own minds. I mean, Misha, I, I kind of hesitate asking the question, but do, do gestures like that have any impact whatsoever on, on players? I think, it, I think it says an awful lot about that particular manager. And, and it's interesting that he's aligned personal suffering because obviously that's, that's the act, you know, and somehow thinking that if he is personally suffering, that this will do something of value, something useful for his players. It's an interesting perspective to take, isn't it? Everybody. Um, for me, it seems like why is it about you and why is it not about the players? So that's an interesting perspective because he's making it all about him. I'm going to suffer. And then 
Um, if, if I'm going to suffer and you don't feel my pain or you don't acknowledge that I'm doing this in the service of the game or in the service of the club, then somehow what does what does that then mean is like i don't i don't understand he hasn't kind of joined up the dots properly does that does that then mean if they don't feel his pain and they don't what win then they don't respect him value him his his suffering was in vain it's really warped thinking it's it's interesting so we we talk quite a lot about how language is very very important uh, when you're working when you're working in any environment which involves a, a group of people the the language of that whole quote john is is the language of struggle isn't it and and it seems an odd that seems an odd um kind of theme to want to to, to uh, pr- prevail in the in the team setting that you're working in especially you know it's literally the opposite of what we were just talking about isn't it where you know teams that celebrate together win together smile together generally express themselves more whereas creating that language of struggle suffering pain um it's very very odd isn't it um the, the, psychologically, the they're, they're is, not they're not words that motivate me is, is what i would say yeah i mean and the other thing just on a basic kind of physiological level if you're freezing cold you're not thinking straight you know <laughs> yeah. because you're worrying about keeping yourself warm so actually you're not functioning as well because you know that when we're when we're put in these in these situations it's like if i you know, he, he could have gone, I won't eat for a week. You know, it's, it's, but understand what's that actually doing to your body and how then is that impacting on your cognitive functionings, your ability to do the job? And I mean, we don't know. He started on Monday. Did he come in on Tuesday and say to everyone, oh, it's been really tough, but I've got through it? Or we don't, we don't know what, what happened in and around then. And, for some reason, it seemed important to him, and and I'm not sure because obviously we haven't spoken to him about why that idea was so important to him. It it comes from some place, um, I you know I, I don't know what that could be, but it's um it's interesting if if I'm struggling, if I'm suffering, then somehow you're going to do what work harder for me. Because it's 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 the for me bit, not for you, but for me. We do, I, I don't want to haul out Mark McKee too much because because the, there are other managers that that have done this this kind of I suppose that stunt is probably the kind of best description that I can kind of come up with for for it. So I mean, we were kind of talking a little bit beforehand about you know the the famous example I think over the last kind of ten or so years that springs to mind is Phil Brown at half-time, taking the whole players onto the pitch for his half-time team talk. And he described that as, he describes it as a duty to bear ourselves to the fans. Um, I mean, his captain at the time just said it was, <laughs> said it was bang out of order. I, I suppose, Misha, it kind of harks back maybe to, the, to this kind of fairly, maybe outdated kind of idea that, you know, to motivate a group of people, you've got to, You've got to do something big. You've got to. You've got to. You know, it's, it's all about this kind of idea of the, the gesture. Um, is there anything that you've kind of seen over the course of your career that, that supports any of any of that? I mean, I think again, it's like the Phil Brown one was interesting because, again, it was all about him. He, he didn't ask his players, "Are you okay with this?" 
he didn't he didn't really consider his players. It was like he thought this is what the fans wanted. This his gesture was for the fans. But meanwhile, you've forgotten about your players that are sitting in front of you having to experience this public humiliation. And and so if that's what he felt, well, then you go and talk to the fans, leave your players out of it, and you show your sense of um, apology or whatever it is. But that's if you feel that that's right, you do it. But then to assume that then the players have to experience that as well is lacking empathy and understanding for, for what you are just putting those players through, which, again, is it's all about you, Phil. Um, this is what you think. This is what you think you should do. And, 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 and it backfired. It, it, it backfired. It, it does, for me, these kind of big theatrical gestures that people think are important to, to develop and drive motivation I feel like they fall at the first hurdle based on what we were just talking about earlier, which is every player in that squad will be very unique. And motivation is already a heavily complex area where it's very tailored to the individual, isn't it? What motivates one person is often very, very different to another person. So the problem with these big theatrical gestures aimed at motivating an entire squad is that, yeah, there may be two or three people that respond to that kind of uh, gesture, but there'll be the other 22 people in the squad who will just, like you said, me, should be sitting there saying, you know, you're embarrassing us, you're shaming us, and actually I'm no longer motivated. And the problem with the the idea that one big gesture motivates an entire group of very different individuals seems flawed from the outset, in my my view. Yeah, and and I think it's like, you know, people are misconstruing this notion of motivation. What, What is motivation? And the word motivation gets banded about all the time. You know, really, it's not about motivation. It's about having a performance whereby players can play to their best ability. They can bring their best. No player crosses the white line thinking, oh, I want to have a rubbish game. No one ever, ever, ever. So this notion of what does motivation look like is is interesting when it gets translated into what do you do? So it's the things that you can control. So, you know, let's take perseverance, right? Because perseverance is, is a behavior that we can see in, in football games all the time. The perseverance of, okay, I've just run all the way down there and now I need to run back and track my runner. You know, that's perseverance. Is that motivation? No, it's perseverance. So I think sometimes they, they land on the wrong bit of psychology that they're actually thinking they're trying to influence. You know, you, what you want is you want players to be able to deliver the game plan, to understand their roles, to work together, to be collective, to be present, to have a when. These are the things. Motivation is, is something else. I mean, there's a there's a topic in there for an entirely separate podcast, Misha, which is I, I am constantly amazed at uh, the, the commentators. Well, not, I mean, commentators in my, in the media, pundits, people like that, that their go to thing as soon as a team is underperforming is to assume that the issue is motivation and they're not playing for the manager. And it's such such a strange strange trend to always go to that and then just bang on about yeah. that for six weeks as if it's the only you know well, not it, only is it more nuanced than that, but it, it's it probably is, more. 
navigate it's, it. Yeah, exactly. It's like let, let let's be better. Let's have, let's have some more <laughs> some more understanding. But I think it also comes with all of the cliches in football that just get churned out, and it's yeah. like they just become meaningless, you know, to to a degree. But performance is behavior. That's what it is. So what we need to influence is behavior, and then think about how you actually do that. Um, that's that's the important bit. Yeah, I mean, hopefully for the people that um, I'm sure there are many out there that aren't satisfied by um, the, the pundits, this podcast provides very safe space for, for these <laughs> these views. So uh, vested interest in, in Michael and not actually not understanding the psychology of, of various players. Um, Misa, just before we before we go, I, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to say on on kind of on Wickham as, as you guys kind of get ready for for the game. Is it on? Sunday is that Sunday that right? it is on it is on Sunday indeed I think reflecting on it afterwards will be important I think at, at, at the moment it's uh it's a it's a space where we have to work internally and Misha actually just want one quick thing on that we, we said just before we came on air that you've got an interesting challenge around you know fingers crossed all being well on Sunday's um second leg there's actually a is it a two-week break until until the final itself? So, you know, that presents some psychological challenges, doesn't it, in terms of uh, sort of managing and navigating that two weeks absolutely. between games? Yeah, absolutely it does, you know, and the, and the challenges are physical. I mean, you know, the, the, the opportunities are that players can actually physically recover really well. Um, but, of course, psychologically, to keep your head in the game for two weeks is ridiculous because then that's just going to fry everybody. Um, so understanding the, the important things about l- living, living your life, switching off psychologically, enjoying other things in those times is also going to be in, important because if we're just like this, you know, then we are, we, let's just walk ourselves into a threat state. And, and, and physiologically, that does so much damage. You know, it's like we do not need cortisol running around our bodies. No, we do not, which is also related to that thing about the joy. The joy, feeling joy, cortisol goes down. Those stress hormones get, you know, okay, breathe. Um, I think we have, to, we have to breathe. We have to be anchored. We have to be focused on the work when we're doing the work because, of course, there is work to be done. Um, but we also have to allow, allow space. Um, and then we'll be fresh, you know, when, and then we'll be focused and, and, and ready. Well, Misha, thanks again so much for your, for your time. That's about all we've got time for this week. Best of luck um, with with Wickham's kind of ongoing journey, regardless of, regardless of the result. But obviously, fingers crossed that it is the, the, the right result. Luke, Thank um, thanks, thanks as always. Listeners, uh, thanks for, for tuning in again. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please um, do leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. You can also uh, follow us on and get in contact with the show on on Twitter um, as well at Soccer Psych Show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for our final pod of the season. So until then, take care. <laughs>